You're listening to the Elvis Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast, the channel that is devoted 100% to the life and career of the biggest selling recording artist of all time, with your host, Steve Francis. Hello and welcome to another episode from Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. Eddie Fidel was a theatre owner, disc jockey, landlord and a sports writer for a local newspaper in Waco, Texas. His relationship with Elvis Presley began in 1956. He was a disc jockey at KRLD in Dallas, Texas and Elvis was making the rounds. He had a lot of success in Texas and Eddie met him at the radio station where he was promoting some records. Eddie liked his voice and thought he had great promise. Elvis performed concerts in Waco's Heart of Texas Coliseum during those years and each time visited the Fidel home before and after his concerts. At Elvis's invitation, Eddie accompanied him on several tours during those days, but only as a trusted friend and travelling companion, never on the payroll. When Elvis was drafted into the United States Army in 1958, and was stationed at nearby Fort Hood, he would often get away to the Fidel home on weekends. Sometimes during that six-month stint, he would unexpectedly show up in the middle of the week if he could get a day off from the base, along with friends who often accompanied him to Waco. I'm delighted to say that Eddie's daughter, Janice, joins me now on the line from Texas. Hi Janice, and welcome to this Elvis podcast. Hi Steve, thanks for having me. And uh, how is the world with you over in uh, Waco at the moment? Well, it's hot and sunny here. It's um, not quite summer, but we've had um, a nice spring, but uh, it's starting to warm up. And how's the lockdown been for you? Because that's been sort of worldwide for everybody, hasn't it? Well, you know, it didn't change my life a whole lot. Um, I'm kind of a hermit by nature, so... uh, (laughs) As they say, I've been preparing for this my whole life. <laughs> yeah, a bit like but, me. I've been keeping away from people for the last 57 years. <laughs> I hear you. As I was saying before we started recording, uh, we've had some good spells of hot, hot, dry weather, which is quite unusual for Ireland. So we could get a lot of outside jobs done. There was, there's, We've done jobs that we never thought we'd do. You know, we, we, we might get around to them in the next three or four years. And they're all done. <laughs> That's wonderful, isn't it great? <laughs> so they, every every cloud has a silver lining. Yeah, exactly. It always does. So where where would you like to start? Um, as I said in the intro, uh, your father Eddie uh, knew Elvis. Well, you tell me when he first met Elvis, actually. Well, um, I believe that Dad met Elvis in 1956 when he was working for KRLD radio. Um, He was a disc jockey and of course those of you that know Elvis history know that that's when Elvis was really getting geared up and had some records out and was touring a lot in Texas and the story goes that uh, Elvis appeared at the radio station one day and met my father and uh, they became friends from then on. Uh, Dad played his records on, on the radio and they just became you know buddies after that and then uh i'm i'm led to believe that he actually went out on uh, a few concert tours with elvis i think he did on the close uh the things that were close by you know we live right in central texas so if elvis had played in dallas which he did or fort worth uh and i do have photographs of dad with elvis in dallas so it could have been that he was on one of those tours Um, at that time. So I'm sure he did, but because he had a young family, he wouldn't go, you know, any further than just something within 100 or 200 miles of home. Well, actually, uh, this afternoon I did a little bit of digging, and I I think that your your father uh, went with Elvis to San Antonio, uh, Houston, Galveston, Austin, Wichita Falls, and Fort Worth. And and, and that would have been sort of uh, January, February time, I believe. And then also Elvis came back in April um, to the Heart of Texas. Is it Heart of Texas Coliseum? Yes, that's what it was called then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that yeah. So he he would have been with Elvis for a good uh, you know six or seven uh, concerts. I'd love to know where you saw that. I would love to read about that. Um, I was uh, just Googling just generally Elvis in concert, 1950s and things like that. And a website came up, which was just called literally Elvis in concert. 
and I clicked on that and it and it gives you all the dates and and matinee performances it gives you if you know if he did two shows it would say 2:30 and 7:30 and things like that and I was just piecing it together and and from what you know uh, we know about uh, your your father going on tour with uh, Elvis I just sort of thought, well, that's it. It would have been January, February time. It would have been those sort of dates. And then I also saw in April, the heart of Texas. So I thought, well, that's another one. He probably would have went with him. So, yeah, so yeah just look, look that up. It's very easy. Just It's just Elvis in concert and it lists okay. them all out. I will definitely do that. I actually think I've seen that before. Um, so I'll have to check it out again. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's very interesting because there's another uh, little thing you can do as well where you can feed in a month and a year and then it'll, it'll it'll give you where he was, you know, for that particular month and that year. And also, it'll also tell you, it's very, very detailed. It'll also tell you what jumpsuits he was wearing and things like that. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I will yeah. definitely check it out. <laughs> that's that's for the, the, you know, the, the nerdy people like me, you know, the Elvis fanatics. Well, you know, it's interesting because, um, because I've kind of come out and started telling my story people come up to me and tell me stories and I've read more books about Elvis than I've ever read in my life and it's fascinating his history is fascinating and I love all the stories about him and his generosity and just you know and then his quirky personality and all the things that made him so unique I just love yeah. so I Turning into an Elvis nerd myself. Yeah, I mean, you know, forty-three years uh, after he's passed, and you know, we're still learning things today. I'm still learning. You know, even after all these years, I'm still learning. That's what makes it so fascinating. Absolutely, it really is. I agree. So, after 1956, what happened then? Did, did he kind of lose touch with Elvis for a little while, or? I don't think so, um, because when Elvis was stationed in Fort Hood when he was drafted by the Army and they sent him to Fort Hood in Colleen. that's only about 50 miles from Waco and so during that time you know Elvis really missed his family you know he moved his mom and dad and Minnie Mae I believe to Colleen to be closer to him at some point but um, during that time he was lonely you know he missed the camaraderie of being around a family and in a family home and so he would spend time at our home whenever he could get off the base which was often enough for me to as a little girl recognize when Elvis was coming because I would look out our window in the back of the house and there would be like black limousines lining up <laughs> you know by the house and I would go running around telling, you know, screaming at my parents, oh, this is here, you know. <laughs> uh, so yeah. it was a common enough occurrence for me to react in a big, excited way. So yeah. I'd, I'd imagine that Elvis never did anything too low key. There was always like a, a, you know, a few limousines accompanying him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He always had friends with him. And Anita Wood came to our house on at least one occasion that I remember and I think I remember that one so well because Daddy captured it on uh, home movies. Uh, but I was fascinated with Anita. She was just like a little Barbie doll, and she looked like Marilyn Monroe. She was so beautiful and glamorous and sweet, you know. So as a, as a child, I was really she was more of a role model to me, and and Elvis was just kind of the guy that brought her there. You know? Yes. <laughs> big deal over <laughs> well i've seen those uh movies on youtube and, and also i think you're, you're you narrate them don't you and you you're also interviewed uh, during those um uh, and we see many things we we see elvis playing the piano we see him eating we see you waving at the camera mm -hmm. are we cutie yeah. are, you, are we cutie you must have only been a couple of years old then were you well in the very first video you'll see me dancing and during that time, that was when Elvis's first visit to our home in 56. So I'm really little. I'm just around two years old. So I don't really remember a lot about that. But in 1958, when he used to come, and when I'm waving at the camera, I'm a little bit older, and I remember that a lot better. I remember those times a lot better. And uh, Dad would like, you know, he'd get the camera out, the the home movie camera and everybody would just kind of sit still like it was you know a regular photographic camera you would have to say 
hey, this is a moving picture. Everybody move. Everybody say something. So the reason I waved is because he said, hey, this is a moving picture. You know, do something. So yes. I waved yes. the camera. <laughs> then there's the famous uh, shot where Elvis is eating pickles. And then what does yeah. he what does he do then? <laughs> I've, I've seen this many times. I, I, it always makes me smile. I know it makes me smile looking back on it. Well, they were sweet pickles, let me say that, and they were cold. Um, and he reached over and kind of pulled me towards him and gave me a little peck on the cheek. And a few seconds later, I really didn't like the feel of it because there was like this sticky pickle juice and, you know, it felt cold. And, and so I kind of reached up my shoulder, I think, and, and wipe it off. Um, so I say I'm probably the only girl who wiped off one of Elvis's kisses. Definitely. <laughs> we could put that in the, uh, the, the the book of records. The only girl that ever wiped a kiss off, Elvis's kiss off. So he used to come out uh, from... Uh, the base, what, every weekend uh, when he could get away? Well, sometimes he would come during the week, which was really a surprise. Oh, right. And, you know, in our home movies, you can see that he has a, a bandage on his little finger. And he had been out on maneuvers that morning and scratched his finger or did something to it and went to the, um, I don't know what they're called on base, but like the medic, I guess. Yeah. And said, oh, I hurt my finger. And so they wrapped it up and they said, well, you really can't go back out. So you've got the day off. And Elvis was ecstatic. He, you know, hopped in his car, grabbed a bunch of buddies, grabbed Anita, and they all came to our house. And that was during the week sometime. Um, and another time, I don't know if it was a weekend or weekday, um, and I'm not even sure if this was when he was in the Army, but he stopped by the house with his parents and Minnie Mae. I, they were on their way to Dallas and to see a movie, is my understanding. And they stopped in impromptu, as people used to do in, in those days. We don't do it so much anymore. But um, Mother, you know, brewed up some iced tea, which we all drink around here, and uh, served them. I think she might have even served them lunch. And then they went on their way to Dallas to the movie. So they even came to our home, which I think is really cool. And did it leak out? Uh, did fans find out that Elvis was visiting your home? Oh, it, yeah, it was kind of hard to hide. You know, when somebody pulls up to your house and there's three or four limousines parked. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then word got out that they were friends. And so, you know, people would come to the house we had to take our phone out of the uh, phone number out of the phone book uh, so that people would stop calling and even years later people would find our old phone number somehow in an old phone book or something and call us and want to know if Elvis was there and there was a time too when there were a bunch of kids that would get on the roof of the room that daddy actually had closed in and added on, he had added on a little room, which later became Elvis's music room and uh, was painted in pink and black, which were Elvis's favorite colors at that time. So mm -hmm. that, that area of the house had a, a flat roof on it and it was only one story, so it was low enough for kids to hop up there. So they would get up there and, you know, bang on the roof and try to get close to Elvis and <laughs> you know all kinds of things it was it was a crazy time but Elvis was always very patient with his fans wasn't he very indulgent of them he, he wouldn't you know he wouldn't get cross or lose his temper very, very much because you know he knew that uh, without his fans he would still be driving a truck yes exactly and I think that's so such a great quality to have you know oh, yes. You know, I wish the stars today felt the same way. Mm. I'm not sure that they all do. But anyway, yeah, sometimes kids would come. Um, there was one particular story which I uh, write about in our little book called The Elvis Days where Dad looks out the, our back door. And in those days, we did not have air conditioning in the house. So there, there would just be a screen on the back door to keep out flies. And the door would always be open. So he looked out the screen door, and here come all these young teenage boys holding baseball bats. Wow. 
So that kind of scared my dad. He was afraid they were, you know, maybe going to get violent or something. So, you know, he immediately closed the door and, and he moved everybody out of that room and said, you know, to Elvis, look, there's all these these kids out here. I don't know what's going on, you know, but just stay back here, you know, and, and I, you know, out of sight and I will go outside and talk to them. So dad went out there and talked to the boys and it turns out they had been playing baseball nearby on a vacant lot or a little field that might have been there then. And they just saw Elvis's cars outside and wanted to come, come meet Elvis. So Dad went back inside and he goes, you know, I can, I can disperse these kids if you want me to. You just tell me what you want to do. They just want to meet you and get some autographs. And Elvis said, oh, no, no, I want to go talk to them. Mm. So he goes out there, and I don't know how long he's out there, but I do remember the tension in the home at first because we were scared. You know, we were scared that some violence might come around, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. That must and, have been, it must have been a scary thing to see for your father to start with. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we didn't, you know, at that point, didn't know what was going to happen, but it turns out they were all peaceful. They were all fans. They just wanted to meet Elvis, and he you know, certainly went outside and spent a long time talking to them and signing autographs. I would love to know if there's any of those kids out there today that still have those. That would be fascinating to know. Yes, I'm sure it's a day they would never forget as well. Absolutely. How could you? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the tree that's in, I think it's on the front lawn outside the house. Yeah, um, when Elvis first visited... We were living in a little in a little apartment behind my grandmother's house, and the second time he visited, we had moved into the larger home with my grandmother because she was getting older and needed someone around. And my father was the youngest of a large family of brothers and sisters. He was the baby, so we were the ones that were the closest to her and. So we moved into the big house with her. So that's where the pink and black music room was for Elvis. And so Elvis met my grandmother. And she was from Lebanon, spoke very little English. They had immigrated to Texas around the turn of the century. And But she she was charmed by him. She just thought he was wonderful. You know, he would come always kiss her on the cheek and treat her with a lot of respect and so um, when she passed away, it was just a few months after Gladys had passed away. Mm-hmm. So Elvis, the Presley family, sent us a telegram, which I have copies of, uh, hanging at the at the house, and it you know said you know we're so sorry. Let me see if I I can find it and read it to you. You know, sorry about the loss of your mother and, you know, to our family, you know, that that just happened to us too. And, okay, it says, Dear Eddie and family, so sorry to hear about the loss of your dear mother and you have our deepest heartfelt sympathy. You know, if it were possible, we would be there with you in person. Since that is not possible, we want you to know that we share your grief. As you well know, not so long ago, we suffered the loss of a dear loved one in which we are still suffering and miss her more and more each day. But only God can comfort us at a time like this. So, um, oh, and then it continues. We are happy to say that we had the privilege of meeting and getting to know your mother. And she was great. And she was great. May God bless the Fidel family until we see you again. Sincerely, the Presley family. So after all of that, getting to the tree, um, Dad decided to plant two, I believe they were both red oak trees in the front yard of the house. And he planted one on the left side and one on the right side. And he dedicated one to his mother and one to Gladys. So I, both the trees are still there. The one that was dedicated to his mother is not in the healthiest shape, but we have done some treatments to it to try to bring it back um, to life and have it 
put out some new shoots and grow. But that's the story behind that. That's a beautiful story, a beautiful gesture by Eddie as well, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and what a great uh, message from uh, the Presley family to you on the death. Um, they, they they always seem to be a very caring family. They always they always considered other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elvis was brought up by uh, Vernon and Gladys always to consider other people's feelings. Yeah, and that's what I've found in my readings about him is that he was just so considerate. Yes, um, yeah, that's the word, considerate. Yes, he really was. Um, there's a funny story that you can that I wanted to tell you about yes, my mother. Please do. Uh, uh, in the video of me dancing with Elvis in 1956, when I'm so little, there's just a small clip of that. It's kind of dark, you know, in the room, but. Um, you can see what happened uh, when I tell you the story. Mother, mother, my mom, Linnell, was operating the movie camera, and she was, like, focusing on my feet or something dancing, and then she goes up to Elvis's face, and he does his little grin, you know, that kind of looks like a snarl. <laughs> yes. It was. She didn't know Elvis. This was her first time meeting him, and she thought that he was being very cheeky, to use one of your words, um, you know, and disrespectful in a way. So she pans down to his feet, and you can see that, and it kind of, you know, it was a put-down to Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, he was always just, she was never Linnell. She was always Mrs. Fidel. And he just, you know, she felt like, uh, or I guess he felt like she had kind of put him in his place in a way uh, because she didn't think he was being sincere when he smiled like that. So it was just kind of funny, you know, the the reaction my mom had. She was just a country girl, and and she didn't like that expression on Elvis's face. (laughs) She let him know about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Talking of nicknames, uh, he actually gave your brother, uh, is it Dana or Dana, do you pronounce it? We pronounce it Dana. Dana, yes. After a famous Texas football coach named um, Dana Bible. So that's where Dana got his name from. My dad was a big, big football fan. So. <laughs> but Elvis gave him an, another nickname, didn't he? Yes, he did. He sure did. Um, the day that we were filming the home movies that we've referenced a few times, Dana had gotten into a lower cabinet in the kitchen where mom kept a box of light bulbs. And Dana, just, you know, being a little toddler, just reached in there and grabbed one and comes walking into the living room where Elvis and Anita and all his buddies were sitting, and he's holding this light bulb in his hand by the base of the light bulb. And it just tickled Elvis. He just started laughing. He just thought that was the funniest thing he had ever seen. And so he he nicknamed Dana Reddy Kilowatt. And uh, Elvis fans, I think, probably know who Reddy Kilowatt was. But he was the um, kind of the logo for the electric company in the South, I think Mid-South Electric or something like that. And so he looks like a lightning bolt with a head, and I think he, his um, nose is a light bulb, if I'm remembering correctly. Let me see if I can find a picture real quick. So that's where the, the nickname Reddy Kilowatt came from. And uh, did it stick? Uh, did he, you know, do you still refer to him as Reddy Kilowatt? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, pr- I, I'm pretty sure he's glad of that. Yes, I think so, yeah. That's so funny. I'm seeing it, trying to find a little picture of him. I saw one earlier, um, but I don't see it now. Oh, yeah, here we go. Yes, he has a light bulb for a nose, and <laughs> his body is all made out of lightning bolts. So that, <laughs> that's where it came from. <laughs> of course, these were, these were happy times, but we, we've, we have mentioned, obviously, Gladys's death. Um, do you remember you, you, uh, Eddie saying anything about Gladys's death and how it affected Elvis? Oh yeah, yeah. Dad talked about that uh, quite often. Um, as soon as I believe Elvis called our home that evening, or the day that that happened, and asked my dad to come to Memphis with him, 
and Elvis was in Fort Hood at the time, and Dad couldn't leave right then, so the next morning, he, I think he flew there, which was kind of unusual for my dad, you know, back in those days, not everybody flew somewhere, but mm. I believe that's what he did, and arrived, you know, very shortly after that, and Elvis was, you know, he was devastated, and he was inconsolable, and, and, you know, Dad stayed there and helped Vernon, helped the family, you know, plan the funeral and uh, do all the necessary things, just kind of took over and, and helped in any way that he could help the family, and I'm not sure how long he stayed there when that happened, but he was there, and... You know, he does talk about it and, um, you know, describe Elvis's anguish and how he went to the casket and, you know, spoke to his mom and held her hand and that sort of thing. So it was, it was, it was very sad. Yeah, I've always thought um, it was a most devastating time for Elvis. He was never... He was probably never the same again after Gladys passed away. But that's probably not just uh, universal. You know, it's a universal thing. It's not just for somebody like Elvis. I don't think you're ever the same after you lose a parent. Um, But Elvis was under a particular, a lot of stress at the time because he was going away uh, to Germany. Uh, He had, you know, the eyes of the world on him just waiting for him to make a mistake and trip up. And, you know, if that wasn't bad enough, he then had to face losing his mother. So it, it, it must have been an awful time for him. Absolutely. I think it was. Um, and even though we never recover from the loss of a parent, um, he and Gladys were unusually close. They had their own little language that they spoke. And we even, our family even adopted it to some degree um, because we heard it you know, so often, and it would be like baby talk, Um, and Elvis would say um, things like, how her doing, Hmm. instead of how are you doing, Hmm. how's her doing, you know, this sort of thing, where's where's her going, you know, it's kind of hard to describe, but that was what our family adopted, you know, we we would say it. Uh, just like Elvis said it to each other and that you know we would never say it in public because it wasn't correct English or yes yes that's right yeah I I always think it it does show how close somebody is when they can have their own sort of language that only those two can understand it does show an extreme closeness right and he spoke with Anita that way um, and he had a nickname for her he called her little because she was so tiny and um, had small hands and small feet and everything, and so we actually we actually had a, a little pet that we got, a little dog that we bought after, you know, Elvis had shipped off to Germany, I guess, and we called her Little after Elvis's nickname for Anita, so that, that name stuck around too. <laughs> Now, there, there was a, um, a going-away party, was there, at the house in Colleen, uh, just before Elvis shipped out? Yes, there was. Um, a lot of fan club members were there. My dad was there. Lamar was there. A lot of people were there with Elvis. And they, they, they were. I, I've seen the pictures. Uh, obviously, Elvis doesn't look too happy. He looks quite forlorn and sad, but you can, you can understand why he felt like that shortly after losing his mother. Uh, having to go away to Germany. I'm pretty sure he was convinced that uh, his career was finished. Yes, he was, and he confided that to my dad. Um, you know, he was really afraid of that, that people would forget about him while he was over there and not putting out records or, you know, doing anything like that, and that was a big concern for him. Um and, you know, he was already, just like you say, he was already devastated after losing his mother and then to go off and leave everything that he knew to go to a foreign country like Germany where, you know, he couldn't speak the language. And, you know, I'm sure it was overwhelming for him. Absolutely. And he was very sad the night he left. He, my dad said everybody at that house was crying. Everybody was just overtaken. They just 
didn't want him to leave, and mm. he, you know, he was sad. So, uh, I think Colonel Parker had a very strange approach to dealing with Elvis being away for for two years because he only allowed Elvis one recording session while he was on leave in June, uh, mm-hmm. and he recorded only a, ha- a small handful of songs. You would have thought that you know he would have tried to get him in there as long as he could and maybe 20, 25 songs and that would last them for the two years. But I always thought that uh, Colonel's idea was always leave them wanting more. Yeah, I believe that's right. I believe that's right. So that's probably why he did what he did. Uh, and Steve Scholes, the uh, A&R man who was sort of like uh, controlling or uh, not so much controlling, but he was responsible for Elvis's recording career, begged uh, Colonel Parker for the uh, for the recording session and he just got one evening's recording session so but that's the uh, did, did did Eddie ever speak much about Colonel Parker do you remember ever meeting Colonel Parker he must have visited Elvis in Colleen did he um I don't remember him from that time period but in 19 I believe it was 70 we took a little vacation and went to Vegas and Elvis was playing Vegas at that time and I can just remember seeing the Colonel and some of the entourage I want to say maybe it was Red West I'm just not sure who was with him at that time and I could have cared less at that time I was about to be a senior in high school and you know, to me, Elvis was old-fashioned, and I liked the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all those guys. So, you know, I didn't pay much attention. I do remember seeing the Colonel, and Dad and Mom talked to them for a long time, and um, I just don't exactly know what happened at that point because Dad really wanted to see Elvis and say hello, and the Colonel wouldn't let him, and I don't know why. There has been speculation of why, but I really have no idea why. He wouldn't have been the only person that uh, he ever stopped seeing Elvis. Uh, he didn't like anybody getting too close to Elvis. He 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 liked to be in control the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether you know the story of Steve Binder, who did the 68 comeback special uh, with Elvis, which was very, very successful. Um, he twice tried to contact Elvis after the uh, special and uh, he was he was unsuccessful both times the, the first time Elvis had given him uh, his private direct number to ring telephone number and when mm-hmm. he and when he tried to ring it wouldn't connect and then I think the second time was when he was in Vegas in 1969 and uh, he called backstage and he wasn't allowed into the dressing room uh, and I, I don't think that Elvis knew that Steve was there because I don't think that uh, Elvis would have turfs, turned Steve away. No, and I don't think he would have turned uh, Daddy away either. Uh, exactly, that's what's yes. Right about it. But, you know, Dad did say that at one point, and this could have caused the colonel to block, you know, my father from seeing him, but Dad does recall that at one point Elvis asked my dad if he would manage him which you know if that ever got back to the colonel I'm sure that would not have made him you know and and dad you know he had never done anything like that yes he was a disc jockey yes he was a theater owner he knew a lot of people but and he was a good businessman I think you know Elvis was just distraught and wanted you know, people he could trust around him. And I'm not saying he didn't trust the colonel. I'm just saying that, you know, he kind of looked up to my dad because daddy was quite a bit older than Elvis. Mm. So, you know, that could have been the reason. Who knows what the colonel's motives were. There's uh, a rumor also that he turned uh, Elvis against uh, Scotty and Bill, who he started out with. Oh, really? So again, there's a case there where, you know, Parker just didn't want anybody getting too close to Elvis. Yeah, I I can see that. Definitely. It's unfortunate uh, because, like you say, I I, I don't think for one minute he would have turned Eddie away. 
after yeah. every, you know after everything that Eddie had done for him. I know. Pr- prior I to did, going into the army, I wonder if Elvis ever you know wondered why he didn't hear from certain people you know um, and question that at all. Yeah, I mean, the, the people asked over and over and over again why he didn't stand up more to the colonel. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, on the occasions he did, it was a success. He, he stood up against him uh, over the '68 comeback special. He mm-hmm. stood. He, he stood up against him for the 1969 Memphis sessions. Uh, Chips Moments uh, studio, again a big success. Every time he seemed to just go and, and think, "Well, I'm not listening to the Colonel on this. I'm going to make my own decisions." It was a success, mm-hmm. but but it, it, it never it it never continued. Um, you know, he'd always fall back. I mean, you probably know the the uh, story of him actually firing the colonel, and uh, the colonel said, "Right, if you if you want me to go, you're going to have to pay me what you owe me." And he sat up all night making up the figures about all the things that he advanced Elvis and all this and that. And when Ver- when Vernon and Elvis saw the bill, they thought, "Well, we can't afford this." <laughs> mm-hmm. So Elvis had to call the colonel and. Well, apologize, I suppose, because they had they had a they had some argument about uh, um, a maitre d called Mario who was going to be fired, uh, and Elvis went on a rant uh, from the stage, uh, saying that you know the, the Hiltons are terrible people and they're going to fire this fellow as soon as I leave because it was the closing night or something like that anyway, wow. uh, and and the, him and the Colonel had a blazing row and and you know. Elvis fired him, but it it didn't last. Uh, that is so crazy. I want to read about that. That's interesting. You know, I I have heard from um, I don't know what to call him. He's an Elvis collector and Elvis dealer. He deals in a lot of Elvis memorabilia, but he has a lot of letters that the Colonel wrote uh, to Elvis to Elvis, and it and it actually shows that the colonel after especially after Elvis died was was very generous with um, Priscilla and Graceland and and everything uh, I know that's really contrary to everything that we've ever heard about the colonel but it kind of makes me wonder <laughs> you know so um, anyway I'm sure there's a, another story there to dig up but. yeah I mean I, I, I sometimes think uh, Colonel Parker was undoubtedly very good for Elvis, getting him his start, his contact, he, you know, the, the contacts he had at RCA, the contacts he had in television, uh, Milton Berle and, and Steve, uh, Steve Allen and all those. But from, uh, and then he undoubtedly get, did a good job keeping his name alive while he was away for two years. I mean, if you're away for two, if you were away for two years now in this type of, of business, you're dead. You have to keep out there the whole time. So mm-hmm. he, he, he did a great job keeping Elvis's name alive until he came back out in 1960. Then after, you know, the initial hullabaloo of Elvis coming back and doing G.I. Blues and a couple of other movies, I think actually uh, he kind of, he kind of ran out of ideas. I agree. Um, I think the way that he marketed Elvis was after the army wasn't really... um, it wasn't keeping in the within the times of what people wanted to see. I think, um, especially as we approached the you know the era of the Beatles, you know, nineteen sixty four and all that. Elvis started to look like an old guy, you know, like mm, mm. he's still to me, you know, to my age group, and I didn't really connect with any of his songs anymore. Uh, at all until he came out with um, uh, Burning Love I, I think that's the song yes. um, the name of it I'm not sure if that's the right name and then the things that he did in that session that you just described where you know that was so successful that he did you know these songs that were really current and exciting and you know that that was Elvis you know so I agree with you I think the colonel kind of did run out of ideas and just kept doing the same thing over and over. Well, the the, the movies became quite lucrative, um, especially when after about 63, 64, they were done over a space of only about 18 days. But the money was there. I mean, Elvis was getting a million dollars a picture. They were getting so much of the profits as well. 
so and then they had the soundtrack album to go with each movie so it was a very lucrative thing to be doing you know why go to all the the why go to all the trouble of going on tour and all that you know and the traveling and all that when you can just go into a studio record a soundtrack album do 18 days of filming and you're done right absolutely yeah who wouldn't want to do that that's a cash cow as they say but unfortunately but, but unfortunately they became quite formulaic and and silly uh, from about 1963-64 onwards. In fact, from 1963, after probably uh, Viva Las Vegas with Anne Margaret, uh, mm -hmm. they they just lost steam. Really, they were just uh, <laughs> bits of fluff, nearly, weren't they? Yeah, I I agree. I I think you're exactly right, and that's why you know that's why people in my age group kind of lost interest. You know, it it wasn't exciting and new anymore. It always broke my heart, and I only heard, you know, the story secondhand of Barbara Streisand wanting Elvis to co-star with her in the remake of The Star is Born. Oh, yes. And how Elvis really wanted to do that, and it just kills me that he did not get that opportunity. He would have been so great for that. Um, so I, I think that's really sad, and I know the colonel had a lot to do with making that deal fall apart so that well one of the, one, one of the other saddest things i ever heard elvis say was he knew that hollywood was laughing at him he actually uh -huh. he, he actually said that and they made him physically ill as well he said that in a 1972 recording that he did for elvis on tour he says yeah. you know no 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 money no matter how much money they paid me, they, 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 it couldn't have been enough to make up for how ill they were making me. Because, so that's one of the saddest things as well. Yeah, it is. It really, really, really is. He was such an artist, and he wanted to be taken seriously as an actor. And I remember, was it Flaming Star? I'm not sure what year that came out. Flaming Star, yes. It was, he filmed it in 1960. It was probably released in 1961. Okay, well, at that time, uh, my dad had a theater, and he showed that movie, and I remember, you know, he and mother would would keep up with Elvis, and they would say, oh my gosh, he's so excited about this role, I, I think it was a serious role that he played in that movie, I haven't seen it, I will admit, um, at least since it came out, no, I was pretty young, but... Um, they were so happy for him because they knew that's what he wanted uh, was to be taken seriously as an actor. So, well, p people say he had the potential to be a good actor, but I say no, he was a good actor. When you see movies like uh, King Creole, uh, the one yeah. he, the one you've mentioned, Flaming Star, he had a great flair for comedy as well. If you ever watch the film Follow That Dream, uh, a great comedic performance. So when people say he could have been a good actor, uh, he was a good actor. He just didn't get the material, especially uh, in the mid-60s. He just The material just wasn't there. Oh, I agree. That's absolutely right. Um, he was a natural. You know, I, I don't think there was anything that he really couldn't do. So it, it's just sad the way he was managed. I would have loved to have seen someone that had a little bit, you know, the colonel was older. You know, he came from circus days. Things had changed by the time the 60s rolled around, you know, and I just think he wasn't, he couldn't see that bigger picture of uh, what to do with Elvis. No, it was the now money. I've always said it's the now money. If you can get the money quickly and run, that's what Parker wanted. He he didn't, he had no foresight. He didn't know how to let Elvis grow as an artist. He just wanted the money. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Right. Okay, so uh, if we can maybe... <laughs> We're getting a little bit uh, morose about things, but shall, shall we shall we talk about the Elvis house? Yeah, sure. Um, you, you tell me about the Elvis house and, and what, what happens now. Okay, well, um, the Elvis house is a home that was built by my Lebanese grandparents in 1924. And it was the home that my mom and dad and Dana and I moved into when our grandmother uh, became older and it's kind of a Mediterranean style home it's the home that Elvis came to visit the most because we were living in the house by 1958 57 58 and uh, those were those Fort Hood days 
So it was a great big, it still is, a, a great big family home. Um, and Dad had taken the little room that he had enclosed. It had been a like a carport attached to the house. We call it a portico. And Dad had enclosed that a while back to make a little room so he could put his stereo in there because Dad loved music. He loved to listen to it loud as he could. So um, he put his stereo in there. And then when Elvis came to visit and Dad found out that pink and black were his favorite colors, he painted the room in pink and black. So that became the Elvis room, you know. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we've, uh, the house still belongs to Dana. Um, Dad wanted to keep it in the family, so he wanted Dana to have it and keep it in the Fidel name. So um, Dana had been using it as a rental property for many years but just found that it was an expensive home to upkeep. It has a red tile roof. It has some foundation issues, things that, you know, cost a lot of money, and he couldn't really get enough rent for the house. So a couple of years ago, a few years ago, he was thinking of selling it. And so, you know, I was being supportive and thought, well, maybe it is time to sell the house. And then I thought about it for two or three more days, and then I called him up and said, you know, Dana, uh, Waco is getting a lot of exposure from the HGTV show called Fixer Upper, which I'm not sure if you get it over there, but it's a Waco couple that fixes up older homes in Waco. Yes. And it's become very popular, and they've become big celebrities. And so at, at that time, I was hearing all this buzz, you know, about all the visitors coming to Waco and how everyone was opening up uh, vacation rental homes. So I just floated that idea to Dana. I said, what if, you know, what if we do this? What if we try it out before you sell it and see if that will make it able for you to keep the house? So he said, well, I'll do it if you'll manage it. And I said, sure, I'll manage it. So we set it up as an Airbnb rental. And I went to thrift stores and uh, estate sales and everything I could find to find mid-century style furniture to furnish part of the house in. And then I restored the little room back to its original pink and black. Uh, colors, which I was able to match perfectly. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then we put a, um, it's called a Sputnik light fixture over the dining room table. Okay. Um, kind of looks like, you know, a starburst or something. And those were very popular in the 60s. And so, and we had one at one point in the house. I'm not sure if it was there when Elvis visited, but when I went to Graceland, I noticed that there's one hanging in the foyer at Graceland over to the side, like in front of Gladys's bedroom mm -hmm. there. And so it was really fun to go into Graceland and see the influences that had passed back and forth, either from my dad to Elvis or vice versa. Um, so I furnished the house as closely as I could to what it might have looked like, you know, uh, in those days. Okay, well, uh, I tell you, will, will we go through the rooms? Uh, because each room sort of has a theme, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, um, will we start with uh, Eddie's living room? Okay, the living room is where all the movies were made, the home movies. And um, I put the furniture in there to kind of replicate the arrangement of the room at that time. At that time, we did have a piano right in front on the wall uh, that's right in front of the front door. And as I mentioned before, we didn't have air conditioning in the home at that time. So the front door and the back door were opened all the time so that air could flow through the house. And Elvis would sit at that piano. In fact, in the home movies, you can see him playing the piano and that the door behind him is open. And often people from the neighborhood would hear the music and they would come sit on the front lawn to try to hear you know, Elvis singing so that that is that room that's the living room and that's where, where the famous pickle kiss uh, took place is that right yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> the next room is uh, the janice room named after you obviously 
Yes, I I kind of decorated that in in more of my generation, so it's more of a 60s, 70s vibe in there. Uh, each room has its own style. Uh, the Dana room, I did that in kind of a cowboy theme, not really because Dana was into cowboys, but because I found this fabulous bedroom uh, set that was cowboy inspired, you know, with uh, the style of it from that era. So I put that in there. And then the Elvis bedroom, um, I found this magnificent looking headboard that's really big and decked out all in gold. And so I thought that just looked like the bling that Elvis would have liked. And I arranged that room in the way that it was arranged when Elvis visited. And that was the room where he would actually sleep or take a nap and or he and Anita would go in there and take a nap yes. <laughs> or whatever they did. <laughs> um, you know, and so when that door was closed, we just, you know, didn't bother Elvis. So yeah. yeah. That's how the rooms are all named. Uh, there's obviously the dining room as well, the room where the family with Elvis, Vernon, Gladys, Minnie Mae and Eta Wood would gather to celebrate birthdays, anniversaries and enjoy delicious home-cooked meals. Now, those meals were um, in uh, Linnell's Kitchen. That, that That's actually named Linnell's Kitchen, uh, obviously, mm -hmm. after your late mother. Yes. Um, it's uh, Also, Gladys would have uh, used the kitchen as well with Linnell, would she? Oh, yes. Yeah. She actually taught Mother uh, what some of Elvis's favorite dishes were and taught her how to cook them so that when Elvis came to visit, he would he would have a taste of home there. Uh, Elvis was very simple in his food tastes, as a lot of people know, you know, the peanut butter and banana sandwich. Um, he loved beans and black-eyed peas and cornbread and just, you know, basic southern food. And... That's what my mother cooked a lot of, you know, meatloaf, things like that. But when Elvis would bring his friends, they'd want steaks and things. <laughs> <laughs> he liked uh, burnt bacon uh, as well, I yeah. believe. Uh, yeah. Sliced tomatoes with purple hull peas, stuff like that, yeah. Right, that's exactly right. Uh, so, yes, people can actually uh, book the house to stay. Yes, they can. It's uh, for on Airbnb, and if you just... Put in Waco as your search and the Elvis House, you'll find it. Well, the website is theelvishouse.com. Correct. Great. Okay, I'll put a link to that actually uh, on the channel as well for people. They can just click on that. Um, just when was the last time that uh, yourself or Eddie uh, met or saw Elvis? Was it the 1970? No, they, he didn't get to see him in 1970. He didn't get to see him then. I believe... You know, I'm not really sure because, uh, you know, I had grown up and kind of moved away, you know, moved out of the house. But I believe it was in 58 or 60 when the helicopter pictures were made of Elvis sitting in that helicopter. He was on leave. That might have been for Gladys's funeral. And Dad went up there and stayed during that. You know, I'm thinking it was like 1960 or 61 might have been the last time they actually saw each other. I seem to have a recollection of reading somewhere that Eddie uh, met him while he was filming um, Follow That Dream. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, in in 1961. Yeah, okay. Let, all right. Let me. I, I don't remember that, but we did visit California in 1960 and in 1961. And during one of those trips, Dad had Elvis's address for a home he lived at lived in um, in Brentwood, maybe. Um, trying to think. So anyway, we drove up to that house. And it, as well as I remember, it was a big two-story traditional-looking home, much, you know, kind of like Graceland in a way. And Elvis's maid came out and talked to us. We were just all sitting in the car. And she said that Elvis wasn't there. He was filming. So I assume he was... Um, Maybe he might have been, in, or maybe he was in Palm Springs. I'm just not sure where he was. I mm. was little. I wasn't really paying a lot of attention. But so it could have been that after that, Dad did go to follow that dream and spent the day on the set. I don't know. I don't remember that. And if he did, he went alone. And so that's why I wouldn't remember that. 
So I suppose we can talk about um, Elvis's death now, and I'm pretty sure that Eddie uh, traveled to the funeral, did he? Um, sure. That was in 77, I believe. 77. Do, do you know, did Eddie ever tell you how he found out, or did somebody call him, or did he just see it on the news? You know, that's a good question. I'm not... I. I was working, I was a hairstylist, and I was at work that day, and we had the radio on all the time, and it was announced, so as soon as I heard it, I called home and said, does Daddy know that, that Elvis passed away? And Mother said, yes, he's leaving right now. So I don't know if they heard it on the radio, or if maybe someone called him to tell him. I'm, I'm just not sure of that, but I know that he left right away, and was there during the whole the whole time you know that that was going on he um he helped vernon vernon sort of said eddie you've been with us before in this situation just do what you think needs to be done and at that time dad had become a sports writer for one of our local newspapers and so he took it upon himself to uh, manage the press as much as he could. And so he was at the front gates of Graceland, you know, helping members of the press get their stories or, or interview people, just whatever anybody needed. He was, he was at that front gate helping mm -hmm. uh, the whole time. And he did see Elvis in his, in his uh, coffin and, and described, you know, that, you know, he was wearing all white. I, I remember Dad talking about that and and how sad it was and, you know, all the people that streamed in to see uh, Elvis, you know, and Margaret, uh, just, you know, different celebrities. Dad mentioned a bunch of them, you know, that had come to pay their respects. And, you know, Dad was just right there in the, in the thick of it, um, doing whatever he could to help the family and, the fans at the gate, you know, if there was, uh, there were several emergencies, I believe, that, you know, fans passed out from the heat or they needed water and they were, or they were distraught, you know, and yes. so dad was handling all that. And I remember when he came home, he just told about the millions of flowers that were on the front lawn there at Graceland, how it, so all you could see were flowers uh, that people had brought. So... You know, he was there with the family during that time, and I thought that was really special that he was able to get in and get there, and that Vernon was so happy to have his help, and, you know, that whole thing. So, A very, very, very sad time. It, it, it's the first time, I mean, I, I'd experienced death prior to uh, Elvis's death, um, but it was the first time... I, uh, a death had shocked me to the extent that it did. It, it, it was a true jaw-dropping moment. I can remember when I heard, and my jaw did actually just drop open. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I've heard people, I've heard you know, members of the Memphis Mafia say, we never expected him to die. You know, we knew we'd die, but we never thought Elvis would die. Mm -hmm. it, it was just, it was something about him. Uh, he just seemed immortal. Yeah. Well, he's proven to be rather immortal. Yeah, he's, yeah. You know, he's such an icon. Um, and he thought people would forget about him when he was away in the army for two years. I know, I know. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, we've, everyone's kept his memory alive. He would have had his 85th birthday in um, January, so. Yes, that's right. And, and look, look at uh, Graceland now. They have the big plaza uh, across from it. They have the new guest house, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, I understand is is full most of the time, and very very difficult to get in around Elvis week because that's mm -hmm. obviously those are the two busiest times in in Memphis is uh, January and August. Exactly, exactly, and and when uh, Dana and I were actually there in January, um, and. We had a tour of Graceland. It was Dana's first visit. It was my second one. And, you know, we, we went out to the um, garden where Elvis is buried. And Dana, it was so interesting. He had the same reaction that I did. Uh, he just broke down and started crying. Yeah. 
And that's how I felt the first time. It was so sad to see Elvis's name, you know, on a grave and to realize how intertwined our families had been at one point in our family history and, you know, our father. And it just kind of brought it all home to him like it did to me my first visit. And um, it was very moving. It's very moving to go there. And I will say, after that, we did go to all the museums there in the in the plaza, I guess it's called. And it was amazing how well and how much has been preserved of Elvis's history. And I'm so happy that they did that. I know a lot of fans that used to go to Memphis in the old days miss the old days, and I certainly understand that. I, I would miss that, too. But the fact that the family has has preserved everything in such a wonderful way and archived everything and and you know it's it's a real tribute to Elvis and his memory and I think it it's well deserved. Yeah, I don't I don't think Elvis liked to throw anything away and I don't think Vernon did either. They were they were keepers. You know, once something came into their possession, they kept it. Mm-hmm. Which is Apparently. a which is which is as you say, yeah, a good thing. Thankfully, they did. It was interesting when I was there. I saw a phone bill from. 56 or 58, I snapped a picture of it, and it was uh, two or three long-distance calls uh, to Waco, and I thought that was so cool. I thought, well, there you go. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely fascinating. I, I mean, I always think, you know, you can see copies of the uh, invoices for the music gates, the uh-huh. the, the building of the uh, stone wall around Graceland, the, the, you know, the white stone lions uh, at the entrance to Graceland, you know, that you can you can see the receipt for that as well. It's it's fascinating, really, that all that sort of stuff was kept. I mean, most people would have thrown those away after a couple of years. I know, I know. It really is amazing. I think it was because they were so poor. And I think Vernon had a fear of losing everything, you know, uh, uh, all the money that Elvis had made. And so I guess maybe that's why they held on to everything. I'm not sure. But anyway. Yeah, poor Vernon was always convinced that they were going to go broke, especially when Elvis started spending a lot of money. You know, Elvis would go through spending <laughs> spend, spending sprees like he, he when he bought the ranch and he then he bought uh, the cabins and he bought a truck for everybody and all those things. Poor Vernon nearly had a heart attack <laughs> seeing the bills coming in. <laughs> I imagine I would have too. <laughs> But Elvis was kind of very blasé about it. He'd just say, Daddy, I'll just make another movie or I'll just do another concert and that'll pay for it. Yeah. yeah. So he, he was right in a way. He was right in yep. a way. The, the money was always going to be there. There's um, a, a book as well, isn't there, called uh, Elvis Days? Yeah. It's Did, a book. You, you wrote that. Well, actually, it's um, a lot of my dad's stories he had published when he worked as a writer at the newspaper that I mentioned earlier he published a little um, a small format type magazine where he wrote a lot of the stories about his relationship with Elvis published his pictures um, he had my mother write a story he had some of his friends who met Elvis write stories about when they met Elvis and um, so he had taken all these stories and published them in that paper, and I just wanted to make it a little more official. So I took those stories and some stories I had written and some recollections of some other people that had told me things and put them together in a little book um, called Elvis Days. So it's it's mostly Dad's writings, but I just I wanted to memorialize it somehow in something that was a little more of a keepsake than just a newspaper. So that's what I did. And there's a, a quote in it, actually, that struck me, and I, I'd like to read it as we finish. And it says, Elvis told a close circle of friends on many occasions, I can count on one hand the true friends I have and who don't need me or use me for anything. And I'm proud to say that Eddie is one of them. That's right. So he said that about your father, and I thought that was yeah. a beautiful thing to say. It was, and Dad was proud of that too. He uh, he never wanted anything from Elvis. He just wanted his friendship. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Janice, uh, and I really appreciate uh, you giving up uh, over an hour's worth of your time to speak to uh, myself and the fans about uh, Eddie and uh, Elvis. 
It's been my pleasure, Steve. I appreciate you reaching out to me and, and giving me this opportunity to speak to everyone. So thank you. That's all for this episode from Elvis, the Ultimate Fan Channel. A big thank you to Janice for joining me today and sharing her memories of Elvis and her father, Eddie. More information about the Elvis House can be found by visiting the website, theelvishouse.com. You can contact me via email at elvistheultimatefanchannel.com. You can also find me on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. My podcasts are available on all good podcast providers, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and iHeartRadio, to name just a few. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time on Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel podcast. <laughs>